0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who has seen the world of yoga change from underground to mainstream. We're talking with Jay Brown about yoga's evolution. Jay is a yoga teacher, writer, and podcaster. He is at the forefront of a quiet yoga revolution based in healing that seeks to change the dialogue and direction of yoga practice in the West. His writing has been featured in Yoga Therapy Today, the International Yoga Journal, the International Journal of Yoga Therapy, and across the yoga blogosphere, his podcast, Jay Brown Yoga Talks, is an internationally renowned for raising the level of conversation. And as a side note, you might be thinking, Greg, why yoga? Well, I have a pretty long history of yoga practice, and my beloved Heidi is a longtime yoga teacher. So I thought it might be cool to bring the yoga conversation to our podcast because of how it has raised my consciousness around life and food. Welcome to the show today, Jay. Are you ready to rock yoga?
1: Absolutely. Always.
0: Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Sure. I started in yoga in the early nineties in New York city. I was in my early twenties and you know, frankly, I was maybe a little messed up my mom not actually not a little messed up a lot messed up i <laughs> should say my mom passed away of leukemia when i was mm, 16 i'm sorry and that was that's okay i was really coming home to roost in my early 20s and i was going down some pretty bad paths and i managed to Find a way out of that through yoga practice. It really transformed me. At that time, yoga was really still a very underground thing. It was pre internet. So it was still like in living rooms and church basements more. And I showed up right when some people started to open these yoga centers and like storefronts. Mm, mm -hmm. And like they had all sort of gone to India and met these gurus and come back and then opened these yoga centers and put their pictures up on these altars. And they were starting these group yoga classes. And that was a very new phenomenon. That wasn't really, prior to that, there wasn't just yoga classes everywhere like there is now. And eventually I sort of just, fell into teaching myself and then it boomed. The industry kind of exploded and gyms started offering yoga and companies, big companies started jumping on board and we all kind of rode this wave and I ended up opening a yoga center in Williamsburg, Brooklyn in 2007, which I had for 10 years until the the rent got too high, and I couldn't keep pace anymore. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, I kind of came into my adulthood alongside yoga coming into the mainstream. And in that process, I did find my way to this totally therapeutic orientation. Because as the yoga world got more fitness-oriented, I was still really interested in the contemplative aspect. That's why I got into it at the beginning. When I first started in yoga, advanced meant inner peace, Right. And nowadays, when you ask someone about advanced yoga, they think of a picture they saw of someone doing some crazy pretzel position. Right. So I ended up gravitating to this very my slogan is gentle is the new advanced and I teach this totally therapeutic orientation now that adapts to people's individual needs and so all of that is sort of how I got into it and then I started the podcast four four years ago when I was let, starting to let go of the center like the center was starting to on a downturn and I didn't know what to do and the the industry was changing so much and nobody knew what to do and I just started talking about things in a very transparent way and a lot of people resonated with that that and it's grown and become like a major thing that I do now. But ultimately, I would say that the yoga practice I discovered is what healed this initial wound with my mom. Oh yes. and, and that's really been why I'm so passionate about it. Because what I've learned in the time I've been doing it and whatever I've experienced in my time is that just the ability to feel okay in yourself is this invaluable strength. So I've sort of dedicated my life to that sum and most, if not all, of what I do as a teacher is very much in my mother's honor, so that's why I do what I do, wow. and it's very cool that you're your partner is a yoga teacher too, and so I'm sure you you get to see firsthand what it is to have somebody who has yoga in their life and shares that with other people and the kind of rewards that come from that.
0: Absolutely. And interesting, your pathway in happened about the same time that mine did. In 1994, a friend of mine said to me, Greg, you got to come and check out this yoga class. It was a Kundalini yoga class at the local Sikh ashram. And it was a little bit of yoga and a lot of breath work. And that was kind of my pathway in. And in looking back at, the landscape of yoga studios here in the Valley, there weren't too many of them back there.
1: No, there really wasn't. I know that when I even when I opened, which was still later 2007, at a time like maybe from 2000 to 2006, I was teaching at maybe four or five different centers. They were kind of popping up, but there wasn't that many, so right. you could just sort of hang a sign, and people were showing up. You know, even in 2007 in Williamsburg, I had an A-frame sign that I put out on the street, and a hundred new people would walk in the door every month, wow. just because that sign was there.
0: Oh, nice!
1: And you can't say that that's true of every place. That was a very like a market kind of situation, but. I don't think that that's true now. I think that with the advent of the internet and just changing landscape of the industry, just somebody opening up a shop like that and putting out a sign, I don't think it has that many people showing up. Yeah. Has certainly changed over the years. But the cool thing is, one of the things that's happened is there has been these big shifts. And one of those big shifts, and I don't know that this is anything we want to get into, is that what was the authorities for yoga, these guru figures, a lot of them have kind of fallen from grace. Yep and fall into scandals. And so the authority has really, there's no, the hierarchies that were there have kind of collapsed a bit. And in in that way, there's been a little bit of a return to the underground, like you said in your intro, that we went from underground to mainstream. Well, the mainstream's kind of bottomed out a little, I think. And so in a way, it's going a little bit back underground. And I think that's for the better. It's a little bit scary for a lot of people, but at the same time, it gets back to some of those roots, like you were saying, when you started, and it was more, about breath and inward reflection nowadays it's gotten so fitness oriented in a way a little bit of devolution might be good
0: oh big time time. (laughs) well yeah because you know you got all these instagram and you know all these people out here doing all this crazy as you call them pretzel moves that quite honestly for somebody 58 years old is probably going to do more damage than good actually for most people it's probably going to do more damage than good don't you think
1: I do. I think that there's a bit of a myth for a long time about strength and flexibility, and that like maximizing strength and flexibility was a symbol of health. Like when you see those pictures, they're thought to be inspirational but because they show an example of someone who has this kind of body control and strength and flexibility. And we associate that with being, wow, look at how healthy they are. But the problem is, is I know a lot of people, myself included, who were able to accomplish some of those kind of interesting, flashy things with our bodies, but we still had lots of pain and felt miserable. Right. (laughs) So I think more and more people have had to admit, and that's a lot of what my show is about. I bring yoga teachers on and I don't write out any questions. We have these unscripted conversations and I just kind of ask them real stuff about, does your hip hurt too? You know, like to have really honest conversations about things that we weren't. And in a way I I do see, like, I feel very hopeful for that reason that I feel like yoga has starting to have a bit of a renaissance, which is exciting.
0: And that's really important because a lot of people out there are getting a whole lot of hurt. I do think that that's happening some.
1: Sometimes there's a little bit of a a thing of, oh, the yoga injuries are on the rise. And I'm a little bit skeptical of that in that I do think that might be the case, but only because there's so many more yoga classes than ever before that if you look at the statistics, actually, like in terms of activities that people do, whether it's sports or other types of fitness, Yoga is not at the top in terms of percentage of injuries and stuff. So I don't know that that's always true, that yoga is this horrible, injurious thing. What I will say is that there's a lot of things that were taught in yoga classes that were not true in terms of what poses will do for your body. So even the idea of strength and flexibility, you know, there's all kinds of athletes out there who train to accomplish things with their bodies who still have lots of pain and don't feel well. So what I think more and more people are coming to, and there's, these are some fancy terms I'm going to throw out there, but there's an older idea about the human body that they sometimes call the postural structural biomechanical model for the human body. Uh-huh. And then there's this newer idea about how the human body functions that's called the biopsychosocial Model and actually, this relates very much to farming. <laughs> I, think. I know this is a farming podcast, but like I had someone on my show, we talked about this in terms of how you relate to the soil and how you relate to your body in a way. Like uh-huh. we've mechanized our bodies some in in certain ways, and so even the science has really pointed to how some of the ideas in the past that we had weren't really accurate. And there's these new ideas about our nervous systems and our polyvagal, you know, systems. And it's very interesting to see how there are these new, this new evolution happening that I experienced myself as a more truthful idea.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Heidi is a yoga therapeutics teacher, and so I'm getting a lot of how to move more efficiently and not as hard on my body from her, and that's really what yoga therapeutics is about, right?
1: I think, though, I think that is the big change. For a lot of time, it was all about teaching people how to do the forms, with precision. And the idea was if you could accomplish these forms, then that would mean, I don't know, something. (laughs) Whether it's strength or flexibility or enlightenment, whatever it was, we were working towards it. And then at some point, we realized that 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 wasn't it. And ultimately, some of the things I taught years ago were hurting me. And the key to undoing that problem was finding a sense of what they might call proprioception or knowing for yourself what's Mm -hmm. going on with your body, like you say, how you're moving or how you're inhabiting your body. They sometimes call this somatics, you know, somatic movement. And it's ultimately, I think, about facilitating people having their own experience of their own body so they would maybe have a clearer barometer for how they're doing and what they need.
0: Well and that that's just raising the consciousness about our body altogether. And that's all the way from what kind of food you put into how you move and you know, how you stretch and as we age, how we get older.
1: Absolutely. I think what I've observed And sometimes you'll see when people try to do yoga for weight loss, because stuff like that sells really good, right? If I say yoga for weight loss and Uh there's a picture of a really skinny person, then everybody (laughs) wants to buy it. But what happens is people will try to use yoga poses as a way of like targeting muscle groups or burning fat, and I actually don't think that that's how yoga is effective in that regard. The way that I've seen yoga help people with their diet and their weight, even if that's something that they're trying to address – is that it, it helps facilitate, as you were saying, awareness
0: mm-hmm.
1: about themselves. And you start to be much more conscious about what you're putting into your system because you're noticing how it feels. And that often leads to different choices. So I've watched people make pretty drastic changes about what they eat and how they live. Not because I told them that they should do any of that. (laughs) In fact, if I tell them they should eat a certain way that will likely have a reverse effect. (laughs) Exactly. Offering tools that enable people to make their own determinations about what's best for them often lead to much smarter food choices is what I was looking to point to.
0: Yeah. What it, brings our consciousness all over the place. That's what I found for me in my life is when I started regularly doing yoga, it helped me get more conscious about all the choices I made.
1: Yeah, I think early on in my practice, it was very much about, like I said, trying to accomplish these forms. And then at some point I met a teacher who just kept asking me this same question. He kept asking me, how do you feel? (laughs) And I I couldn't answer. I know, you know, I knew like, all this stuff, but I didn't know how I felt. And that inquiry, okay, how do I feel? And how does this make me feel? And how do I want to feel? That's actually how I personally changed my what, a, how I was eating and how I was living. Because I just wanted to feel okay, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. And if that became my goal, like I just want to feel okay in myself and not be freaking out, then I want to do the things that help me feel that way, and that involved changing my diet and who I hung out with, and just about everything.
0: Exactly. Well, you know, I think the more conscious we become about our surroundings, the more we're going to feel. And Mm -hmm. you know, when you drink that diet soda. You know, pay attention for the next two hours, four hours, how does it make you feel? Or when you eat a lot of white bread, how does it make you feel? Or when you go to a yoga class and you do a move that maybe you have to push yourself a little farther, how does it make you feel? It's it's the same conversation.
1: Yeah. When I it's funny you, you bought diet soda up, you know, because I flashed on this memory. When I grew up in the eighties in Los Angeles, my parents had a like a whole shelf in our fridge. That was always stocked with at least four or five different flavors of diet shasta mm-hmm. and I look back on that now and look at the way I'm raising my kids you know it's It's so drastically different, and it it comes back to get me I really had to have I've had to be very disciplined to change those patterns, but it's essential, like I said, if I want to feel well, like you said, if I drink that i and I'm paying attention to how I feel, it doesn't line up you know with yeah. what I want, yeah. And that's actually the best way to motivate people, I think, is if you can get them to identify what they really want, which is usually to feel well. And you can get them to associate the choices that they make and our behaviors with it not leading in that direction or or leading in that direction. That's when people, I think, feel more self-motivated to make the choice to go in that, that better direction.
0: Right. For yoga, what are some of the benefits people can derived from a regular practice?
1: Oh, I think the the thing that has benefited me most, and I think sets yoga apart from everything else, there's lots of different benefits you could get. But the one that I want to say first is that yoga, at least the version I'm practicing and teaching, is very much about developing sustained attention. So the ability to put your mind on something and keep your mind there for as long as you want and then release it at will. Like that muscle of concentration and exercising that muscle of attention, in my experience, leads to facility where you, you get to have more say about what your mind does, which is really valuable. Oh, yeah. And leads to what we were talking about, like the awareness and all of that. Like the basic muscle of, of having that awareness about what you need and, and making conscious choices is about ultimately, if you break it down, sustained attention and sustained attention leads to clearer perception you're able to see things more clearly and that's where you are more emboldened to have your attitudes and actions express your your purpose or the direction that you're you're hoping to go now that's the coolest thing now there's also of course just Mm. physiological benefits to moving you know i have chronic pain issues i deal with and You can manage chronic pain. And, you know, when I'm talking to people who aren't yoga geeks, you know, like if I'm at a party and someone asks me what I do and I say I'm a yoga teacher and they say, what's that? I would say, oh, well, I teach breathing and moving exercises that are really about lessening pain and easing stress and anxiety. So to me, those are the things that it's really about. It's about this way of easing the pains and difficulties that life presents so that we can experience and enjoy what's already taking place, which is a profound miracle that is you existing, you know, in the same way that a flower blooms, your heart beats and that that we could have that wonder and awe about ourselves and our own systems is what I find to be the the source of the healing ultimately.
0: Nice. And what you just spoke about, about the after effects of yoga are really the same after effects of eating a healthy diet. Because when we put bad stuff in, we feel bad and we're less focused. I I know for me, if I eat too much sugar, man, my brain starts to go every which way, but not focused. So there's another overlap for us.
1: Absolutely. I know I have a 10-year-old daughter and a five-year-old daughter. And I was just laughing with my wife the other day because they enjoy raw organic vegetables. And we had some friends over and they were kind of shocked <laughs> watching. But at the same time, they're both really thriving and doing well. Mm-hmm. And, and I have just always felt like it's one of the least things I could do is put in things that help fuel them in a way that will give them the best chance to be healthy and well, you know. And I think that Choosing what I eat really did become profoundly important. And, you know, I do think they're interrelated and interconnected. That when I was experiencing these other changes, as I was describing in terms of just facility with my mind, the changes in diet just went right along with that. Just makes more sense to eat in this way where my food's less processed and I'm eating more vegetables. <laughs> you know, that was a natural thing. It wasn't like I had to make myself do it even.
0: Right. It just becomes a habit.
1: Yeah. Becomes a habit that I want to keep. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So in your bio, we talked about a yoga revolution. What is that? Because there's some there's a level of importance here that I don't want to miss.
1: Well, you know, I, I used the word renaissance earlier, and I've kind of been moving away from revolution to renaissance a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think they might both apply. I think the revolution is... As I was sort of describing before that at some point yoga had this contemplative root to it where it was really about expanding consciousness and inner peace maybe. And at some point it changed to where it became about accomplishing strength and flexibility and a particular aesthetic even, you know. And I think that people who started in their early 20s, like me, who are now in their mid 40s, (laughs) we're all reckoning with the reality that some things that worked for us in our 20s don't work for us anymore. And we still love yoga because of these transformative experiences we've had with it. And so the revolution is this kind of revolution of, I wanna say soul, or I wanna say depth. So people are kind of over the hype like we we're talking about the Instagramification of yoga. Yeah. I actually think that people are done with it. In the way and it's true in other areas of our culture where people are kind of over it. You know, we were flamboozled for a while, <laughs> but not anymore. And because of that, I think that's why I'm managing to do what I'm doing. Because I'm not in the mainstream media of the yoga world. I'm just this one guy doing his thing from his attic, and people are resonating with that because there is this bit of renaissance or revolution of people who want who want to return to the depth because we know that's where yoga really has something to offer us and society.
0: Yes. And part of the revolution is that there's been some teachers out there that have been not really yeah. appropriate.
1: Oh, well, if you want to go there, sure. I talk about this a lot on the show because when I started, like I said, in the early 90s, there was very distinct hierarchies and guru figures and these lineage traditions. Yeah. And you know there was always issues in all of these hierarchical schools but honestly in the last few years with the resurgence of the me too movement a lot has come out and and a lot of these folks either have died or even just after dying people have come out and told more honest histories and stories about who these people were and what i would say is that people who identified with those gurus as their connection like this person is my connection to the yoga. They're in a really bad place now because that person turned out to be a sexual abuser and it's now not under dispute anymore. Yeah. And so that person had his whole has their whole connection to their healing and yoga to this person. And then that person isn't what they thought. And it's a really bad situation for a lot of folks. And there's a lot of cult like dynamics and a lot of you could just say cults happening. Yeah. There's a lot of other people though who maybe had experiences with. The those teachers or studied in those lineage traditions but their connection isn't so much to that person but is more to the experiences they had in those practices and those people while I think they I'm including myself we have a lot to reckon with still we're in a better place because it's not so tied up in that other person who failed us. And in a way, the last thing I would say is that a lot of people are having to look inward for where the authority is. And exactly. I think that is ultimately for the best. You yes. Know, the inward authority rather than some external authority will prevent a lot of these issues potentially.
0: And that's the reason I brought up this question is because we have to not look outside of ourselves for a guru. We have to be our own guru, whether it comes to our diet or our yoga or our life. We have to be the powerful person in place, not somebody out there that's pulling the strings.
1: I think that's right. There are a lot of different philosophical viewpoints within yoga. And I have a particular viewpoint that is to what you were just saying, where if someone says to you, do this and it will help you become enlightened or do this and it will help you become blank, whatever it is, that person is starting you from a place where you are lacking. They are saying you are not currently enlightened or you are not currently whatever it is and then you're gonna have to make it happen or get there. And I subscribe to a viewpoint that starts from a place that you're entirely whole as you are, even with all your difficulty and pain and that there isn't anywhere that you need to get to necessarily at all. And from there you proceed. (laughs) <laughs> and you proceed in a way that is, in my experience, more empowered because of that, because you are, as one of my teachers would say, and it's an apropos metaphor, standing in your own ground. Mm-hmm. He would say, you are a flower blooming in your own garden, that you you regard yourself with that kind of majesty. and That, I think, is a lot where the self-agency to find direction and purpose come from, which is what I said earlier is what yoga is really about.
0: Yeah. Well, and Heidi and I have talked about this a lot over the years that we're not looking for gurus. We're looking for teachers that can help kind of point us, direct us, enlighten us enliven us. And then we take that information and we do with, with it, what makes us feel good. It's like, you know, how many diets are there out there? And some of them work for some people and not for others. and It's, it becomes a self, self-discovery process by which we have to move forward with life.
1: I think that's right. And there's that metaphor, and I won't strain it, but it, where you give the people the tools to get their own fish rather than just give them the fish. Yep. I think that's right, that folks who have had transformative experiences with yoga understand that it was a very personal thing that happens inside yourself, and you can't really do it for anybody else. You can't even know what anyone else needs to do. But in the sharing of your experience and your ability to make the tools work for you, that does often allow for someone to then do the same for themselves. That's when it, there's a wonderful teacher named Nishila Joy Devi, and she calls that the namaste effect. And she wrote a book called The Namaste Effect. And basically, she says, in that moment, the the distinctions between you and the other person disappear.
0: Mm, nice. So for those people listening out there that don't know what yoga is or don't have a pathway in, what might you suggest for somebody to stick their little toe in and get started?
1: Well, I mean, nowadays there's so much available. There's like a lot of online stuff. I myself have live classes I do online as well as standalone videos. So there's lots of different stuff out there. I will say there are many different approaches in schools and systems and they are not all the same. As you were saying, your your wife, she's of a more therapeutic orientation like me. There are lots of other schools and systems that are not so much about that. They're much more about physicality and testing your ability to do more than you think you can. There's lots of different viewpoints. I have my producer in the back of my head telling them to go to my website.
0: Perfect. What is that? <laughs> but I
1: also don't want it. I also I'm sure there'll be a link eventually because there's certainly it is certainly my pleasure to introduce people who have not had any prior experience to yoga before. Like that right now, I moved to Pennsylvania two years ago after I let go of my center and I took a space in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is a very rough neighborhood. But it's basically so low overhead, I can take it without stress. And I've ended up having this wonderful couple that have been coming to all my classes. And the, the man is a retired construction worker. Oh, wow. And he's just, he is the, the no experience with yoga. I have no idea what yoga is example and it has just been so rewarding. He's like such a fantastic student. He's like so much better than some of the yoga teachers that come to train with me. You know? <laughs> right? Because he's so pure in his inquiry. So to your question more, I would say looking for simpler practices that are geared towards well-being is my strong recommendation for folks who are first looking to to establish some kind of practice in a sense that I'm pointing to, that the gentle yoga out there or the slower flows is probably where I would encourage you to start. Ideally, if there is a local center where you can go meet someone, that is the best. If you can meet a person who you feel like comfortable with and creates a welcoming place for you to come and experience some yoga, I think that is by far the best. I do know a lot of people are feel feel intimidated to go to a yoga center, and there's not always as many of them as there used to be, or sometimes they're more like gyms. Right. So in those instances, I really do think it's a matter, you can find a lot of really great online stuff. I hate to say it, I was resistant forever. I was like, no, yoga can't be online, but there really are a lot of possibilities. There's even, and I'm, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and give her a shout out because- I shouldn't do it. My producer is going to be so mad at me, but there's a wonderful woman and there's a thing on YouTube called yoga with Adrian and she's great. She's been on my show Uh and there's lots of free stuff out there and you can easily find some practices and try them out and see how they fit on you. And I think you'd be surprised even just a little bit, like five minutes in a day of doing a little breathing and moving can have a pretty big impact. I think folks would be surprised to find that out.
0: Yeah, it is that impactful if you, Move with purpose five to 10 minutes a day. Heidi's finding that that's much more effective than somebody going out and doing exercise for 45 minutes three times a week because you're getting, you know, you're getting constantly getting that movement and that presence.
1: I think that's true. If someone has a goal of like peak fitness, if you want to be able to run farther or jump higher, then Going to the gym every day or running every day will feel great, and you'll totally get benefit, you know. But if what you want is to just feel okay, like I was saying earlier, and you're like forcing yourself to do these workouts <laughs> that are kind of miserable, and you wish you didn't have to do them, yeah, I, I don't actually think that works. So if people are just looking for well being and they're not trying to be peak athletes, then these simpler practices. Go a really long way. And people are sometimes surprised. Like they see a video of me doing these really simple things, inhale arms up and exhale arms down. And I'm like, what's that gonna do? And it's hard to, you know, it's hard to find words to describe how simple practices like that can actually have a profound impact on me having less pain and feeling better about who I am, you know?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, I watch sometimes in amazement Heidi as she does these really super simple things, and it's like, wow. The next day, it's like, that happened? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, the cool thing about that is is when it isn't an extreme physicality, there is all this room to be noticing and exploring and experiencing. And it does get very exciting when you're not pushing your body as far as you
0: can.
1: You get to then, oh, end up cultivating these other patterns of like setting boundaries, you know, some mm-hmm. days I feel good. And so I set a boundary here and some days I don't feel good. So I set a boundary here and knowing how I feel and being able to set a boundary accordingly relates to what we are saying before in terms of knowing what you need and making the choices to bring those things to you.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it.
1: Well, I pondered this question quite a bit, and I struggled a little bit because a long while back, I embraced this very non-achievement-oriented practice. And in that, I sort of tried to do away with this idea of success or failure. Mm -hmm. I try to really think of things in this very process-oriented way. But to not totally avoid your question, I did think back to one moment and it was like a moment of personal failure that I always will remember. And it I told you earlier that I opened a yoga center Mm -hmm. and it was in the first year that I had this center and I was first hiring employees. Like I had they were independent contractors, but I was hiring yoga teachers to teach at the center. There was one particular yoga teacher who was fantastic. I really liked her so much, but she was flaky and she would be late. And I was really stressed out because it was the first year and she was always giving me headaches. And like one day she came into teacher class and I just completely snapped on her and like basically kind of fired her right there on the spot in a way. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't – I didn't treat her like a person. I was like – and I I really destroyed a friendship. And even like I totally – felt bad about it within the hour and then went and apologized to her, you know, like I really screwed up and she forgave me some, but it really did. It was a moment where I thought, you know what, for whatever I do as a professional yoga person, I, I have to be true to the yoga and I have to treat people in the way that is in line with my beliefs. So that was my failure. And I, I overcame it in at least having the awareness to know that I had did that, Mm-hmm. And to then not do that again, I can say I, I don't have a regret like that ever since.
0: Nice. I had something happen. So I did I did a lot of work around a place called Landmark Education in the early 90s. And they're all about taking on big stands for your life. And one of the stands that I took for my life was that I said to myself, I'm going to be the kindest man that anybody ever meets. That's who I stand for, for me in my life. And it sounds to me like that's that was a broken piece for you in that sharing. And for me, it's a. I know when I don't do it, because I'm not always the kindest man that anybody ever meets, but it becomes a learning moment for me. And then I get to reflect back on, all right, that's what I did, and how would I do it differently?
1: I think that's right, and I, I always... On my show, finish on a note of kindness. I ask, please, can we be kind to ourselves and can we be kind to others? Because I think that's the sauce. That's the sauce, the special ingredient (laughs) That that certainly has prevented me from treating people in that way again.
0: Yeah. So in the same tone then, my next question for you is, what do you consider your biggest success? I think that for myself,
1: I feel that I've been successful in holding a line of integrity. And I i hope that doesn't sound arrogant, but there are some teachers before me who, when things hit the mainstream, as I described, could have really sold out in a way that other people did, but they didn't do that. And they kind of held a certain line of integrity. And I'm really trying to carry that baton. This idea of changing the dialogue of you know yoga is about Wanting to maintain a certain integrity and authenticity. So a lot of that has meant keeping a certain independence about what I'm doing and a certain level of just honesty, I think. So if there's one thing I'm doing well right now, I think is just being really honest about and transparent about everything. Mm-hmm. So I think if I have one success, it's in my ability to be honest about what I'm doing and why.
0: Nice and what drives
1: you? Well, I did mention my mother earlier, and I think that having that experience of her death so early in my life and kind of going down a downward spiral towards a dark hole and finding a light that um, made that not necessary, I think that has really become my overriding drive is continuing to facilitate that in myself and wanting to share that and spread that with other people. Because I, I try not to get too highfalutin, but I really do think that the personal work that we've talked about some today is also the healing of the planet, that the more people tend to their own gardens, the more they, like I said, they, they don't have the same separation from other people and their environment. And then we want to tend to that as well. So I really do think it's like my way of contributing in some small way to humanity being more in harmony with this planet.
0: Wow. And so you speaking of people tending their own garden, that could be tending their own internal garden with yoga or going out in your garden and getting your hands dirty and tending your garden. (laughs)
1: Well, when you came on my show, I told you I've dabbled some in my own life and certainly think that it's true, that yeah. there's a metaphor and not a metaphor. There's an actuality of, of going out and growing food and in and ingesting that food. It is a, a miracle and a wonder to behold that that is possible and that we get a chance to experience it. So it is a profound yoga to grow food. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Absolutely. Yeah, no
0: kidding. <laughs> So you, you mentioned me being on your show. So the, I was on your show recently, and and uh, we had such a great time. I was like, man, you got to come and talk to us about yoga. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, very welcome. I'm so happy to have the exchange with you.
0: If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: You know, it's funny this question too because I I went through a long list of like yoga books that I was thinking of because I. I think I was trying to impress your listeners. I was like, let me give them a really smart yoga book from a yoga teacher. And then I thought, no, nah, that's lame, man. <laughs> so ultimately, when I let go of that, the book that jumped into my head is this book called Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. I don't know if you know that book. I don't. But she, she had another book that she wrote in, that, that became a big movie with Reese Witherspoon. But she, for a long time, had kind of like an advice column called dear sugar uh-huh. and this advice column was compiled into this book called tiny beautiful things and it is just individual people writing to her about their stories and her responding to it and it is a profoundly heart it's difficult like there's lots of difficult stuff in it but it it was it's a very life-affirming book and it's a book that really made my heart sore so i thought that that would be a great book to recommend
0: that is perfect that's the reason i asked this question by the way and Good. as you were sharing i was getting tingles all the way down my body it's like oh i got to go find that book
1: you will not be disappointed
0: nice and what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners
1: oh gosh you know i am also very hesitant to give anybody any advice but it is my my humble request that be kind. I'm going to, you said it earlier, but I really think that it's the, it's the most important thing that if we can find a sense of kindness towards ourselves, which is maybe where it starts, which is a lot of what I try to teach is if we can do breathing and moving exercises with care and kindness towards ourselves, we can establish that precedence. And I really think that if we can have kindness towards ourselves and kindness towards others, that is the best possible thing that we can do regardless of whatever other pursuits we may seek.
0: Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Jay.
1: It's been a great pleasure. I could not have had a better time.
0: It has been a lot of fun, man. I love hanging out with you.
1: Well, I think it's always a pleasure for me as well to speak to folks who are looking to point people in healthy directions, that like-minded people who are resonating that kind of message For me, I feel some camaraderie and I feel supported by that and reaffirmed by that. So, like I said, very happy to have this exchange and connection with you.
0: Mm, That made me smile inside. How can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: Well, it's very easy. You go to jbrownyoga.com and there's a whole bunch of stuff there. I have, like I said, these weekly live stream classes where you can take class with me live or you can watch the most recent class anytime 24 hours a day. I also have a weekly teacher's call, which your wife might be into. It's like this amazing group of yoga teachers from around the world, and we have a video call each week where we have these very amazing conversations. It's quite supportive. And other than that, let's see. I've got the podcast, J. Brown Yoga Talks. I've got the blog. I still write a blog. Not many people do, but I put one out every month. And all that stuff is easily found at jbrownyoga.com.
0: Nice. And that's not JAY Brown.
1: Nope, that's just letter J B R O W N yoga.com and if you just type letter J space brown in a Google, it'll all pop up.
0: Nice. Nice. Well, once again, thank you so much for spending this uh 45 minutes or so with us. I just I'm smiling inside.
1: Well, like I said, it's been a pleasure and I'm I'm wishing you and all your listeners well.
0: Yay.